Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at Costa Rica Travel Pass dot com or calling one eight seven 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 eight zero seven two seven seven. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com on the right hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. All the pain is gone, but I remain the same. Taking out my issues never healed the flame. And no. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at LDS Leadership Principles. You can also find this podcast on iTunes or at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. With General Conference coming up, I thought today we'd spend some time talking about prophets and apostles. I wanted to talk about what the church defines these men as, what the perception is of them from those who struggle with faith or those who are unbelievers, to share what some of them have said in regards to their role, compare Joseph Smith to the prophets that followed him, and then to share a little bit of my view. Let me start off with the perception. For those who struggle with faith or those who have lost faith completely, they have a hard time with seeing our prophet and apostles in this day, what seems to them behave differently than the prophets of old, or even Joseph Smith. When they look at the New Testament, they see men who outwardly share spiritual experiences with angelic beings. They see men who are receiving definitive revelation and sharing with those around them these revelations. And when they see our prophet and apostles today, they seem to think something is missing. They struggle to see that today's prophet and apostles, President Monson and the Quorum of the Twelve that serve with him, are in any way behaving or acting the same way as prophets and apostles of old. Let me start off with the church's definition. Prophets. This comes right off of LDS.org. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are blessed to be led by living prophets, inspired men, called to speak for the Lord, as did Moses, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, Nephi, Mormon, and other prophets of the scriptures. We sustain the president of the church as prophet, seer, and revelator, the only person on earth who receives revelation to guide the entire church. We also sustain the counselors in the first presidency and the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators. Like the prophets of old, prophets today testify of Jesus Christ and teach his gospel. 
They make known God's will and true character. They speak boldly and clearly, denouncing sin and warning of its consequences. At times they may be inspired to prophesy of future events for our benefit. We can always trust the living prophets. Their teachings reflect the will of the Lord who declared, What I the Lord have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servant, it is the same. Our greatest safety lies in strictly following the word of the Lord given through his prophets, particularly the president of the church. The Lord warns that those who ignore the words of living prophets will fall. He promises great blessings to those who follow the president of the church. So even comparing Brigham Young on to the prophet Joseph Smith seems not to match up very well. Joseph is having these wonderful revelations on a continual basis. He's sharing them out loud in the Book of Commandments as well as with his people at large. So members of the church in a faith crisis will struggle a little bit with this this perception or this thinking they're seeing apples and oranges. But there is some good reason for that. First off, I think every time that God is doing something new, he wants to make sure that there is plenty of room by giving miraculous experiences for people to jump on board. So for instance... If Matthias, who we know was ordained an apostle, we have nothing from him in the New Testament. Now, that's not to say there wasn't something and it's gone now. That's not to say that he didn't share wonderful revelations with the people in the New Testament time. But we don't have anything. And so one thought I had was that Jesus comes along, and obviously he is the greatest of all. He is Lord and Savior, and the things he does, the miracles he performs are amazing. And he sets this pattern, right? And so all of a sudden he calls 12 apostles out of his disciples. And these apostles tend to be able to do not as much as him, but tend to be able to do great things. And they're very open about these wonderful spiritual experiences that they're having. Because of those that sharing of those experiences people climb on board the movement. People join this this new Christianity, this new Jewish movement that follows Christ and his new teachings because they see these outward things going on, which then puts belief into their hearts. It makes it easier to believe. The Savior had a work to accomplish. There were things that his apostles and his church had to accomplish in that New Testament time. And so he starts out with him and his apostles acting boldly. But perhaps, as new apostles began to be called, that it wasn't quite as bold from that point forward with them. Now, who knows? We obviously have Paul, and we have some sacred things that happened to him. But part of that was just Paul's conversion. And if you take Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus out, then you've got less experiences, a whole lot less experiences, that are in the the hugely divine, where heavenly messengers and angelic visitors are involved. So now fast forward and looking at Joseph Smith and the Restoration. We have a ton of churches. They've all fallen away from what God is asking and what he has set up his church to do. And so now we have Joseph who comes along and he again is this outwardly, this gigantic spiritual manifestations are just frequent and and they're, they're dramatic. 
and it's needed to help bring people on board, to get things started. But once he calls his apostles, there doesn't seem to be as big of a need on their end to keep the movement going for them to have these giant spiritual experiences. I'd like to share with you some words of Brigham Young and some other things that others had said about him. Here's Brigham Young speaking in the third person. He says, A person was mentioned today who did not believe that Brigham Young was a prophet, seer, and revelator. I wish to ask every member of this whole community if they ever heard him profess to be a prophet, seer, and revelator as Joseph Smith was. He professed to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, called and sent of God to save Israel. If you know what the calling of an apostle is, and if there were 10,000 of them on the earth at the same time, you must know that the words of an apostle who magnifies his calling are the words of the Almighty to the people all the time. Joseph Smith was a prophet, seer, and revelator before he had power to build up the kingdom of God or take it the first step towards it. When did he obtain that power? Not until the angel had ordained him to be an apostle. So that's the words of Brigham Young. Now I want to share something that John Taylor said. John Taylor, in a confrontation with an apostate of the church, was defending Brigham Young and explained what it meant to be a natural seer. John Taylor says, quote, Brigham Young, in saying that he did not profess to be a prophet, seer, and revelator as Joseph Smith's was, was speaking of men being born natural prophets and seers. Many had the gift of seeing through seer stones without the priesthood at all. He had not this gift naturally, yet he was an apostle and president of the church and kingdom of God on earth. And all the keys of the holy priesthood and of revelation were sealed upon him, and the spirit and power of revelation was upon him daily. So we get John Taylor's viewpoint. And I'm not asking you to put more weight on one than another. I hope that you can find some balance here as we lead kind of into my conclusion in a little bit and hope that you might be able to see some of my thoughts on where things are at, why it seems different, even jumping from Joseph to Brigham on, how, how there seems to be a difference. Brigham Young also said this, and this came, I believe, secondhand, said, I am not going to interpret dreams, for I don't profess to be such a prophet as were Joseph Smith and Daniel, but I am a Yankee guesser. I have never particularly desired any man to testify publicly that I am a prophet. Nevertheless, if any man feels joy in doing this, he shall be blessed in it. I have never said that I am not a prophet, but if I am not, one thing is certain, I have been very profitable to this people. I want to finish up with my view of how this all goes together, and then I also want to share with you an audio clip of Elder Eyring describing Revelation as it occurred within his church councils from his perspective as a newly called an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that Jesus did one many wonderful miracles, recognizing at times that his apostles were not able to do what he had done, and he would call them out for having less faith. There's also the scripture that the Savior said that there shall be others who come after me who shall do greater works than I. I think it is perfectly reasonable to recognize an ebb and flow to these mighty spiritual experiences. 
I think it's also fair to recognize, based on the faith of the people at the time, that prophets and apostles might be more or less willing to share the sacred experiences that they're having. Recognizing that when Thomas came to the Lord, I think the Savior was hopeful that Thomas wouldn't need an experience with the Savior to believe, but that Thomas's lack of faith required the Savior to be able to show up to him so that he could be a special witness of Jesus Christ. I think of Elder McConkie's concluding address at General Conference and the things that he shared that he knew in and of himself outside of any other source. We also could consider the experience of Lorenzo Snow seeing the Savior in the temple. The reason I think that this is important to bring up is that President Snow seems to recognize that this is a rare occurrence, that this is not something that happens every day. According to President Lorenzo Snow's granddaughter, here's what happened. One evening while I was visiting Grandpa Snow in his room in the Salt Lake Temple, I remained until the doorkeepers had gone and the night watchman had not yet come in. So Grandpa said he would take me to the main front entrance and let me out that way. He got his bunch of keys from his dresser after we left his room and while we were still in the large corridor leading to the celestial room. I was walking several steps ahead of Grandpa when he stopped me and said, Wait a minute, Allie. I want to tell you something. I was right here when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me at the time of the death of of President Woodruff. He instructed me to go right ahead and reorganize the First Presidency of the Church at once and not wait as, as had been done after the death of the previous presidents and that I was to succeed President Woodruff. Then Grandpa came a step nearer and held out his left hand and said he stood right here, about three feet above the floor. It looked as though he stood on a plate of solid gold. Grandpa told me what a glorious personage the Savior is, and described his hands, feet, countenance, and beautiful white robes, all of which were such a glory of whiteness and brightness that he could hardly gaze upon him. Then he came another step nearer, and put his right hand on my head, and said, Now, granddaughter, I want you to remember that this is the testimony of your grandfather, that he told you with his own lips, and that he actually saw the Savior here in the temple, and talked with him face to face. So we see that President Snow valued this experience, and that that these occasions didn't seem like a daily occurrence for him, that they were rare. So, as a final thought before we go into a couple of uh, audio things I wanted to share with you, I hope you recognize that, one, things are going to be more dramatic, at least from my view, things are going to be more dramatic when a movement starts that is sanctioned by God. I also don't think that the organization of the New Testament church is the same as prophets of the Old Testament. It's not until Christ comes along that many of the things are put into order. I also recognize the New Testament places an apostle above a prophet in the sense of authority, and I don't think that's any means to change the way we see prophets and apostles, but simply that every president of the church is an apostle first, and that the apostles have the keys of the kingdom, whereas the prophets of old don't necessarily have those. Well, they have been called of God, and they are sharing his word with his people. There is little, if any, mention of Old Testament prophets receiving keys with the exception of Elijah and his mantle, which could, in some ways, perhaps be interpreted that way. So I hope you see that. I don't think Brigham Young claimed to be the same as Joseph Smith. I think he realized that Joseph was putting the restoration 
into movement, that it was going to set it in a movement going forward, and that those who came after him did not have these same types of spiritual gifts, or at least not the magnitude or frequency that he had. And I think they admit that. I think when we sustain the presence of the church and the apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators, that we recognize that if and when the Lord has something to say to his church, that he will do so through those servants. I would use as the example the revelation in 1978 to to at least share that on occasion, as God sees fit to reveal some some new policy, some new doctrine that is of a giant magnitude that the brethren are not going to move on on their own or come to a conclusion to that end on their own, that he intervenes when his time is right, not ours, and shares those things with our leaders. I now want to finish up with two audio clips. The first being from Elder Eyring, the second, Elder McConkie's last and final testimony. When I first came as the president of Riggs College, I attended my first meeting that I'd ever been in, watching the general authorities of the church, the first presidency and others, running a meeting. I had been studying for the ten years I was a professor at Stanford how you make decisions in meetings and groups. So I got a chance. Here's my chance to see the way the Lord's servants do it, of which I now am one. But my first, I, I looked at it with my Harvard, Stanford eyes, and I thought, this is the strangest conversation. I, I mean, here are the prophets of God, and they're disagreeing in an openness that I had never seen in business. In business, you, you're careful when you're with the bosses, you know. Here they were just, and I, I watched this process of them disagreeing, and I thought, good heavens. You know, I thought it, 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 revelation would come to them all, and uh, and they'd all see things the same way in some sort of, you know. And it was more open than anything I had ever seen in all the groups I'd ever studied in business. I was just dumbfounded. But then after a while, the conversation cycled around, and they began to agree. And I saw the most incredible thing, that here are these very strong, very bright people all with different opinions, suddenly the opinions began to just line up, and I thought, I've seen a miracle. I've seen unity come out of this wonderful, open kind of exchange that I'd never seen in all my studies of government or business or anywhere else. And so I thought, oh, what a miracle. And then it was President Harold B. Lee was chairing the meeting. Uh, I think he, anyway, it was, a, it was a board of education meeting. And uh, I thought, now he's going to announce the decision because I've seen this miracle. And he said, wait a minute, I think, I think we'll bring this matter up again some other time. I sense there is someone in the room who is not yet settled. And they went on to the next item, and I thought, that is strange. And then I watched somebody, one of the brethren, one of the, I think one of the twelve, walk past President Lee and say, thank you. <laughs> There's something I didn't have a chance to say. So I want you to know, the main thing you do about Harvard and Stanford, and I love it, I hope this doesn't offend my wonderful friends, forget it. Uh, we're in another kind of thing here. Uh, uh, this is what it claims to be. This is the true church of Jesus Christ. Revelation is real, even in what you call the business kinds of settings. And uh, a great man whom I love and will always love, President Harold B. Lee, uh, 
taught me a great lesson. It says, no, uh, we can be open, we can be direct, we can, we can talk about differences in a way that you can't anywhere else because we're all just looking for the truth. We're not trying to win. We're not trying to make our argument dominate. We just want to find what's right. And then a man sensitive enough to sense, without anybody saying anything, that somebody in the room was not settled. <laughs> and uh, I can't, there's a, there's a kind of, uh, there's a kind of process of openness and yet coming together and having confidence that you know what the Lord wants, not what we want, that is, uh, I loved Harvard, I loved Stanford, had a great time there, my wife is here, we spent the first ten years of our married life, I was a professor at Stanford, thought I'd stay there forever, and had tenure, and how happy we were, and then went to Rexburg, Idaho from there, uh, and uh, then came down here and found out that there was a kind of uh, making decisions and working together in groups that I have never seen anywhere else in the world, except here. I shared that because I just wanted you to see that revelation does occur in the church today. And that just because things seem a little different, that there are lots of acceptable reasons why that happens. And so I hope that you'll have faith and understand that revelation is a principle of God's kingdom and it is active today. As I said, I want to end with Bruce R. McConkie's testimony in his final session of conference in 1985. A short time later, he passed away from cancer. I go to that now. If there had been no fall of Adam by which Thomas death, there could have been no atonement of Christ by which cometh life. And now as pertaining to this perfect atonement, wrought by the shedding of the blood of God, I testify that it took place in Gethsemane and at Golgotha. And as pertaining to Jesus Christ, I testify that he is the Son of the living God, who was crucified for the sins of the world. He is our Lord, our God, and our King. This I know of myself, independent of any other person. I am one of his witnesses, and in the coming day I shall feel the nail marks in his hands and in his feet and shall wet his feet with my tears. But I shall not know any better then that I know now, that he is God's almighty Son, that he is our Savior and Redeemer, and that salvation comes in and through his atoning blood, and in no other way. God grant that all of us may walk in the light as God our Father is in the light, so that according to the promises, the blood of Jesus Christ his Son will cleanse us from all sin. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. General Conference is coming up in a few days. I know some of you are struggling. I know some of you have lost belief, but it's my hope that each of us can listen to General Conference prayerfully with an open mind and an open heart and listen for what Elder Holland said is a tiny epistle just for you. May the Lord warm your shoulders and God bless.
Tuesday.